Welcome to Governing the Heartland, where we discuss the politics and governments that affect our day-to-day lives. Join us as we interview the politicians that sit on our school boards, manage our parks, and more. We're also going to feature some of the most important people in this process, the constituents of the community. Follow along as we delve into our heartland and what it takes to govern it. Hi, all. I ran into Teresa Lohr at the Opera House in Crossroads, sitting with SIT Congressman Emanuel Cleaver. It was right before Christmas time, and I remember feeling nervous to go up to both of them. But I knew I had to approach, because the role of this podcast has always been to tell the stories of community while providing local officials a chance to speak. So with that, I'm going to get you started with an interview with Councilwoman Teresa Lohr. I'll let her give a little background about herself, and then she's going to jump into a little bit about the MCI airport. Let's get started. So welcome, Teresa. Um, Thank you so much for being on. I would love to just start out by giving you a chance to introduce yourself and tell us about your current role in local government. Certainly. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, My name is Teresa Lohr, L-O-A-R. I am the second district at-large council member in Kansas City, Missouri on the city council. Uh, We have six uh, in-district council members and six at-large. It's much like the Congress. You have six uh, that just represent their district, which is um, a division of about 80,000 people. And then you have six of us that represent the entire city. So um, then we have a mayor. So 13 altogether. The mayor does vote. So his vote counts. And uh, we are a city manager form of government, uh, manager council form of government. So we have a, um, a very strong city manager. And he has 13 bosses that he pulls his hair out every day because of that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Brian Platt, right? That's correct. Uh-huh. Yes, I actually met him at a tailgate. <laughs> um, in the, the DC area. So, ah, um, but yes, it's nice yes. to be putting the pieces together. Another big part of this podcast has definitely been explaining to people the way that local government works. So thank you for laying that out as well. Um, Teresa, so is you, are you in the Northland area? I am. The city uh, is basically cut in two by the Missouri River. And half of the city uh, lies north of the river in landmass and half lies south. The population in the past has been heavily, heavily south of the Missouri River. However, um, the north began to grow as the city started to annex and expand uh, north. And that mostly happened when we put the uh, airport in the KCI airport back in the uh, 50s and 60s. Uh, The airport was built in the 70s, but they started acquiring the land back then. So we are a humongous city geographically. We have 320 square miles. We have about 505,000 people, though, to take care of all that, which makes it a little tough. Uh, I can imagine, especially, you know, like with any metropolitan area, there's a lot of different viewpoints, um, a lot of different people coming from a lot of different places, all the way from, you know, farmers to city people, you know, you guys absolutely have, have a very challenging job. I'm not jealous of you. Well, we have, uh, you know, the urban core, we have the uh, suburban rings, and then we have uh, some rural uh, um, farming in Kansas City, Missouri. So it's quite diverse. And um 
both uh, ethnically and um, economically and, you know, culturally. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, we have quite the little microcosm of America right here in the heart of America. That's true. And, you know, I'll say the one thing that's in common out of all the people I've kind of talked to is everybody loves Kansas City and the surrounding areas. So it's a special place. It's a great place to live and raise your kids. We've got a a high standard of living um, and, you know, we have great work ethic and, you know, low costs. And and, you know, it's just a good place to in the Midwest. It's just a good place to raise a family. Oh, it's not true. And I miss it. I'm going to jump in quickly here before we go to our next segment, because it's about the Kansas City Airport, MCI. I'm guessing most of you have flown into MCI before, but if you haven't, let me tell you a little bit about it. It was designed in the early days of airfare. In fact, it was one of the first of its kind. It has a short terminal that would have allowed people easily to go from car to plane. Of course, that was before the time of security and spending time waiting at the gate. Now it has limited seats and very limited food options. In fact, I started dating a guy from Maryland. And when I told him I was from KC, the only thing he could talk about was the food poisoning he got at top of the crown in Terminal A. Kansas City, as you've heard from previous guests like Brian Platt, it's a land of improvement. So naturally, we decided to, to try to improve this airport. But that means money and contracts and complications. And if you've been through there recently, it's still just a land of construction. So I'm excited to have Teresa talk a little bit about the process and what's going on right there at that million dollar airport that's not currently working. You know, Teresa, I'm going to come back to some of these questions, um, you know, about your background, but I I do just want to, you, you mentioned the airport, which I think is a really <laughs> interesting topic. And, you know, coming as someone that, you know, again, I grew up in Kansas City, but this is really what, you know, this podcast has been my real foray into local government and understanding it. And I know that you were like pretty central to everything that's going on with the airport. So I guess I would love to just hear from you, from your perspective, how did it all come about that we should have a renovation and, and that, you know, were you like, we should do this because it's kind of in your district, right? Really just an open floor, Teresa, because I don't think it's sure. super common knowledge for like the majority of the area. Like obviously people in the government and in politics understand all these intricacies, but just being a normal citizen like me, I don't know half of what has gone into all of that. Well, it is very complex and it's the largest capital project the city's ever done. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's not easy. Um, and we, um, prior to the original airport opened in 1976 and it was, um, state of the art. And with the three, uh, horseshoe terminals, uh, it was so convenient and, and so accommodating to the average flyer that we were just known nationwide, if not worldwide, of the convenience of our airport. Where can you go where you can drive up to the curb, get out, uh, walk into your gate and and check your bags all right there. You know, it's just boom, boom, boom. And that was a that was a hard pill to swallow to say, oh, I don't know. Well, let's get rid of all this and, and build a big box, Hmm. Uh, (laughs) which is basically what we did. But um, there's um, 
this is where it gets complicated. Uh, the airports in in the U.S. are federally controlled. Uh, they're controlled by the FAA as far as um, what you can and can't do on airport um, real estate. So you have to you have you're dealing with not only your local government but the federal government too. So uh, you've got two sets of rules that you've got to abide by. So it gets real dicey there when you're trying to figure out who's going to pay for what. Mm. And even though city general fund tax dollars do not pay for the airport, the um, but the taxpayer pays for that airport by flying. Um, there's a, a passenger facility charge on every every airline ticket that you buy and with when you're coming and when you're going uh it doesn't matter you're going to pay that facility charge you know they had capped it at about 350 i think it's up to nine dollars now um when you fly out of air any airport uh and that money goes into a fund um that is set aside for only work on airports so um, we had that money. We had con- concession money. That's all belongs to the airport. You have rental fees from the airlines. The airlines lease all of that property inside of an airport. So th- it's like you're, they're your tenants. So every month they have to pay um, the landlord their rent. And we have parking fees. Parking fees are probably our largest source of revenue on the airport. So you put all of those monies together in order to build a new airport. And so we had to, of course, you have to bond all that money out. You can't, I mean, no one has a billion five, I think, on hand to just go build an airport. Uh, So it's very difficult to, number one, because the, the money is the is great. I mean, these numbers are big to have to build these airports. Um, So it was a lot to think about. When I came on in 2015 on the council, again, I'd been on the council prior to this, but, um, and my prior service on on the city council, I was the uh, chairman of the aviation committee. And then the, uh, under one mayor and under another mayor, I was the uh, on the transportation and infrastructure committee, which the airport was a part of. So uh, I, and then under, uh, in 2015, I was on the airport committee. And then uh, again, in 2019, when I ran again. So I've always been involved with the airport. It sits in my district. So I'm, you know, four miles from the airport. So I have a and prior to coming on the council, I worked for an airline. So I have an integral uh, knowledge of what goes on at an airport. So uh, when we started down this path of let's build a new airport, I knew it was going to be tough because you really have to explain to voters who's paying for it. That's their biggest question. Uh, um, and it's still a difficult question to answer who's paying for it you know it was said over and over again in a campaign well the taxpayer isn't paying for it well yeah the taxpayer is if you're flying but um and then there are ancillary fees that come into play that the city usually ends up picking up we bond out the the aviation uh or the airport bonds but 
at the end of the day, the buck stops with the city of Kansas City on those bonds. They've never, uh, I've never seen any airport, and I, I don't know, I haven't done my research on this, bonds fail, but my guess in court, you know, um, you go to whoever's at the end of the line <laughs> to get to collect yeah. your money. But so we started down the road um, to build an airport. It passed, uh, it passed, we, we did put it on the ballot, although I don't think we had to, but we did to get the public's buy-in and it passed. And then we, um, we started um, trying to find um you know, the construction and the construction manager and all of that. And there is such fierce competition in that it got yeah. pretty ugly. And that's got to be one of the biggest contracts that's ever come through this area. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then we had local um, firms bidding against out of town firms. You know, most of the people in Kansas City, because we're very, uh, a very conventional town, we like to keep things right here close home. And so, you know, they wanted a local company to, to build the biggest project that we've ever had. Unfortunately, the council uh, voted for an out-of-town company. And, you know, that was, that took, you know, at least a year of uh, energy and time at the council. Mm-hmm. So uh, the council, uh, meaning those 13 people you mentioned earlier? Right, yeah. right. And a majority of them voted the for split the on that out-of-town vote? company. Do you remember? I'm sorry. How was it what split? Was it, how did, was it like five, eight? Was it like 13 and oh? No, no it was uh, three and 10, I believe. Mm. Or, or four and nine. I can't remember. Mm. But we did have a local company uh, bid on the uh, building the airport here that was, well, we had two one that's local with their headquarters here, one that has a large presence here, they both had um, uh, good bids and then um, our good proposals. But for some reason, the selection committee chose a Baltimore company to come in and build it. So they did. And we're kind of, um, we're probably two thirds done with the airport now. It should come online in uh, March of 2023 is their um, drop dead date. So we'll see how that goes. But it really tore the council um, every which way. I mean, there was a lot of infighting, a lot of citizens that were angry, a lot of um, businesses that didn't understand. Uh, so it's a very, very difficult, it was a very difficult challenge for, for the city. Well, Teresa, you know, thanks for just opening up about that, you know, in research for this, I had seen some of that in different articles, you know, the contention, um, you know, but my, what I see this podcast is, is just, you know, giving you and other council members and representatives a chance to speak on the experience. So thanks for just going in on that. You know, um, again, I am not jealous of your job. I have thought about (laughs) running for office, but I'm definitely still in the learning period because I'm not jealous of what you guys had to go through. And another thing that we found through this podcast is that everything really, every issue really is incredibly complex. Um, you know, it, obviously it is very expensive, but, you know, for me as someone that is a Kansas City native, like my heart is very still very much in that city and now living in mm-hmm. kind of another major U.S. city, um, 
Right. You know, we got to get that airport. I mean, it, it's it's kind of a smear on the city. You know, when people I know people have they're like, oh, you're from Kansas City. Well, I've only flown through there and there was only one restaurant. And, you know, <laughs> so right. it's incredibly complex, but it's also very necessary. Um, sure. I did have one question you mentioned about, you know, taxpayers paying for different things. And right. Personally, again, I'm a fan of the airport and I'm not trying to trap you into any questions, but I've got to ask some hard ones. So sure. have you gotten any pushback? So you, you mentioned that you'll pay for it if you're traveling. Um, so if mm-hmm. you're just like a regular, you know, maybe a, a Kansas native that doesn't ever get on an airplane, did you see pushback from them of, you know, why am I paying for something that I'm never going to use? And, you know, how did the council and you yourself kind of reconcile that and move forward with such a big project? Um, yeah, that it was a, a huge learning curve for the citizens of Kansas City because um, KCI is our, our airport is a regional airport. Um, it was but it sits inside Kansas City, Missouri and is a Kansas City, Missouri asset. I mean, we the city owns it and it's own it's on Kansas City, Missouri property. So we have to, um, you know, our we govern it actually with the FAA. So um, we had to convince the taxpayers that, in fact, their general fund dollars, I mean, the taxes they pay at the grocery store and and on, you know, wherever, um, their 1% earnings tax, none of that money went to the airport. The airport money uh, is only raised by people who fly or utilize the airport. And um, so that's, uh, it's it's called um, uh, well, it's a revenue generator. It's an enterprise zone within the city. The water department and the aviation department they generate their own revenue, so that they're kind of a little entity in themselves. So taxpayer dollars were not used. Uh, general fund taxpayer dollars were not used, but. Anyone flying at the airport, buying a cup of coffee, uh, buying a newspaper, parking their car, they're paying for the airport through those dollars. Okay, thank you for explaining that. That's helpful to me. And, you know, that's exactly the kind of thing that we want to help people understand. Sure. So you mentioned, so as being someone that does fly through MCI quite a bit because my mm-hmm. family is there and I love them. I'll be back right. in April and I'll, then I'll be back in May and I'll be back sure. in April twice, you know, yes. um, it has felt like it's been under construction for a amount of time. And I know it's a massive renovation. Do you have any timeline for when you think it will be finished out? Well, uh, we, yes, we gave them a timeline. We gave Edgemore a timeline when, when they got the contract and we are hosting the NFL draft in April of 2023, April of next year. That so we told so them exciting, that, by the way, huge so, congratulations. Know, that huge congratulations. So, That's such a credit to the city. Uh, yeah. And we, we told them we had to have that airport done by March of 2023 and they, signed on the dotted line that they would. So it's up to them to make sure it happens. Okay. March of 2023. So there you have it. Councilman Laura's take on the current situation with the MCI airport and how we got there. In this podcast, I'm not trying to catch any politician in the crosshairs, but I'm hoping that these conversations will encourage people listening to look more about what's going on in the things that affect their 
maybe not day-to-day life, not all of us are catching flights, but but monthly, and, and it affects the view of the city to anyone traveling. I hope you'll take some time to do your own research, but mainly I hope you'll realize how important who you vote for in your local elections is. Because the last election that elected your most recent round of council people that were making these decisions, it had about an 18% voter turnout. We have to stay engaged, we have to stay aware, and we have to stay focused on our local government and our local community and our local politicians. So I'm going to keep on looking into the MCI airport. And if you have any questions, always feel free to email us at governingtheheartland.gmail.com and we'll keep looking into it. But for now, um, I'm going to let Teresa finish out her interview with a couple different things. And let's hope that million dollar airport finally gets figured out. Thank you for kind of going into all that. I really think that's going to be helpful. for people to hear about, um, just to kind of circle back and, you know, for, you know, we try to keep these episodes to like 20 to 30 minutes, just cause we find sure. that's when, in the, you know, the SEOs and all of that stuff that I've started studying starts to fall off. So I'd love to just circle back to a little bit on you. So, so how long have you been serving? Um, okay. I'm going to do a three-part question. It's, okay. How long have you been serving? When's your next reelection? And why did you want to get into all this in the first place? <laughs> well, good question. I ask myself that every day. Um, actually, my family is, was very political, particularly my mother. She worked for a congressman up here for a number of years. And so I, it was just a natural for me. Uh, you know, I ran for the PTA board. Then I ran for the school board and served there a while. Then I ran for city council in 1995 and served under two mayors, Mayor Cleaver and Mayor Barnes, for eight years, and we're term limited. So after two terms, you have to you have to roll off. So, but you can come back at once you sit out a term. So after I left in 2003, I went to work uh, for a local engineering firm um, and doing government affairs, and. Uh, let's see, in 2011, they sent me to um, Afghanistan for a couple of years to do um, sort of uh, reporting on project management, uh, but they had a USAID contract. So I spent two years in Afghanistan and came back in 2013. Um, about that time, my old seat was coming up again. And well, I was talked to some folks and they said, oh, why don't you run again? So I did. And I ran in 2015 and won. Uh, and then I ran again in 2019. So my term will be up in 2023. And so that's the end for me. And um, I'm not sure at this point what happens after that, but I'm going to just roll on off of the council and see what see what's next in my in my future. Wow. Well, you know, thank you for your years of public service. Sure. I I wouldn't do anything else. This is what yeah. I love to do. Yeah. You know, I've got to say, I've thought about it and the job just seems a little big. I'm like, maybe I'll just stay in my, you know, right now I'm a fundraiser. <laughs> I just, nice. Oh, no, 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 Gracie. You got to get out there and do it. I mean, go, go do it. Uh, we need women in politics. We need women in public service. So uh, if that there's anything true. I can leave you with is, uh, that's what we need and, and go do it. Uh, Teresa, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you so sure. much for coming on. If you ever need anything, you got my email and uh, all right. 
I, you know, I hope you enjoy finishing out your term. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Grace. As always, guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to rate and subscribe on whatever app you use to listen and follow us on Instagram at Governing the Heartland. Until next time.